I, I always seek the Lord for a message because there's always the right time. There's always something he wants to have released that goes with the season. And, you know, we've talked about identity before, but what God really highlighted to me is the reality that our identity is so much tied to our destiny. And unless you walk out your true identity, unless you come to a place where your false identity gets stripped away, you're not going to walk out your full destiny. Okay? So that's the basic concept. And we see it all over in the scripture. For example, Abram becomes Abraham. Right? And with that name change, there's a destiny release. You're going to be the father of, of many, the father of, of nations, literally. Okay. Well, may you have many young ones. <laughs> Simon is given the name Peter. On this rock I shall build my church. Right? Jesus speaks a new name. He speaks destiny. Saul, his name changes to Paul as well, right? Okay. Identity, there's a a natural human identity, and that comes from healthy parental love through intimate relationship. If I had intimate relationship with mom and dad, they could express love to me. I felt safe. I feel, I feel pretty safe, secure. I'm pretty confident. I, I relate pretty well to the world. I'm not overwhelmed. Okay? So if that's our life experience, we probably had pretty good identity established in us. If I, if I struggle relating to people, struggle dealing with big negative emotions, can't handle conflict, then maybe, maybe there's some deficits there. Beyond that, there's an identity that is heavenly. It's supernatural. We are citizens not of this world, but we are citizens of God's kingdom. Being a child of God, there is an identity that God releases into his people that enables them to walk out the supernatural things, the, the purposes of his kingdom on top of our, our normal identities. We're going to start by looking at Saul. If you open up to Acts chapter 9, we see a very zealous Pharisee who thinks he knows God and thinks that he's serving God, but in all reality, he doesn't know God. In fact, he hates the real God, and he's so deceived. Um, he's so full of hate and self-righteousness that he gets permission from the Sanhedrin to go to anyone who, who are followers of the way. Those are those who, who are, um, are followers of Jesus Christ, and he wants to put them in prison. He wants to kill them. Right? He's actually Satan's best man, I think, of the hour. He's Satan's man of the hour. There's a demonic destiny over this man's life. He's walking it out really well in full deception, thinking he's serving God. That's kind of scary when you think about it. So we'll just start in 9-1. Uh, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now, Get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling to Saul stood there speechless. They, they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they laid, 
they led him by the hand into Damascus for three days. He was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So God intervened in Saul's life, right? I mean, Saul was wrecking shop on what was precious to God. But God looked beyond Saul's bad behavior and said, I love you. Regardless of what you're doing or how rotten you are, I love you and how deceived you are and how much you're living out your false identity. I still love you. And God loved him by humbling him. Okay? Saul needed to be humbled. You realize some of us need to be humbled in order to walk out our destiny, in order to come to a place where we realize that what we are living, what we are doing with our lives it's really not a reflection of our heart. It's, it's really not a, flexion, a reflection of who God called us to be, right? Saul was so entrenched in lies, and he put every ounce of his energy into those lies. And God confronted the lies. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Okay, he doesn't just fall off his horse. He doesn't just become blind for a few days. I mean... Talk about an independent man that has all the strength in the world. This man becomes dependent. Now, he has to be led around, right? Because he's blind. He, he, he connects with the, the weakness of being a human being, right? We're susceptible to so much, uh, so many different types of weaknesses and hurts. Sometimes we think we're invincible until we get struck, right, with something or somebody in our lives that we love gets struck and we realize, hey, life, life isn't, Life isn't something that's just effortless, and I'm not, I don't have all the resources. I got to look beyond myself, and sometimes I have to look to others and really become vulnerable in order to move forward in life, right? I believe Paul's heart was encountered in a way that had never been before, right? The man took pleasure in thinking of getting people killed. That's kind of sick, isn't it? Right? But he experienced a loving God who loved him. Right? Who loved him. And in the midst of, of Saul's agenda, said, no, I got something better for you. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to save your soul. I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to have a love relationship with you. I'm going to encourage you and sustain you. And instead of killing people, you're going to bring life. You're going to bring eternal life to people. And you see a person that was so arrogant and so prideful and so steeped in self-righteousness that this man, now he gets on his knees, now he calls himself the worst of sinners, right? The chief of sinners, and he is shedding tears for the people of God. And he, he, his heart becomes so open, he gets so connected with his heart that he can be separate from his spiritual son Timothy and weep tears because he loves that person so much. Because that's how deep a relationship he has with Timothy, okay? Now his heart is, is truly fulfilled, right? He connects to his heart on the road to Damascus. He next connects to God's heart, and his trajectory changes, and he transforms the world, right? That's pretty incredible when you think of it. Love became more important than law, right? Relationship became more important than rules, more important than performance for our friend Paul. And just think, if he would have said yes to his destiny, where would we be? Where would the, the Gentiles be? You think about 
the importance of our faithfulness and obedience to what God has called us to do. We have no clue. I mean, did Paul have any clue that people would be reading his epistles all over the world and finding strength and getting saved just because of one man's obedience? That's incredible. Do you think anybody here, if you are just if you if you run the course the best you can, what God, what fruit He can do right. through you is quite right. crazy. I prayed for a young adult a couple of years ago, and God gave me a vision of him, and in him I I saw like this this part of him that really wasn't him, and it was his false identity. And it was big, it was strong. And then I, I saw like a part of him that represented his true identity and it was very withered. It was emaciated. And I shared that with him and it, it shook him up. It shook him up and we started to talk about that and God just gave me revelation and I, I was like, you know what? Your, your parents really spoke into your false identity. It, so much of it had to do with performance. He was good at sports. I'm gonna I'm gonna get rewarded if I'm good at sports, right? And he he's good at academics. I, I can feel good about myself if I do good in academics. And then of course, you know, good meaning parents they see their ch- child succeeding at certain things, so they're gonna feed into that, and they're gonna maybe even give him more attention or more affirmation if he does well, which is a good thing. But but we really need our parents to give us affirmation regardless of our performance, right? Just because of who we are, not what we do. Okay, so. He also was given spiritual gifts, very gifted, and he went into ministry. And I was just like, you know what? I believe you're doing this for the wrong reasons. I believe you're doing this ministry to try and get affirmation for yourself. That it's not a giving thing. You're actually using your gifts to get. In other words, you're exploiting them. And he got really offended when I said that. But then as weeks and months went by, he confessed it was true. I could hear the way he was talking. You know, they're not affirming me. The, the, the youth group's not affirming me. Well, who's it about? Is it about serving the youth group or is it the youth group serving you? Right? So I encouraged him to step down from that youth group. Well, he eventually he did. He got really hurt. He felt really rejected. Um, because he was trying to walk out his destiny out of that false identity, and it was all falling apart. Okay? So I continued a relationship with this guy, and I started to sow into his true identity. Your love because God created you. Your love not because of your performance. And you need to come to a place where you love yourself regardless of what people think of you or how good you are at sports or academics or or ministry and you know he made a, a awesome brave decision which a lot of people are afraid to make i mean he he decided i'm gonna come face to face with my weakness my brokenness and i'm gonna start working on this stuff i'm gonna lay this stuff down and so he started to go to christian counseling and you know he's still going through through intense things but but he's he's laid down that false identity now he's He's unraveling, is, is a term I like to say, he's unraveling the false identity. He's seen these lies that have been his sense of well-being, sense of self-worth, just for what they are. And he's, he's nurturing that true identity that can only be nurtured and established by love, not by performance. And now he's getting more and more satisfied. He's able to have deeper relationships with others, which is pretty cool.
true life-giving, God-inspired dreams for our lives are birthed out of a place of deep love and acceptance. Okay? And we look at that young adult. He was trying to prove himself. He was trying to get recognition. Right? So ultimately, in his, his attempt to walk out his destiny or his calling, it was selfish. And God's like, you know what? I love you. I'm not going to... I'm not going to let you hurt yourself more. I'm not going to let you hurt the body of Christ by, by, by abusing your, your gifts. I have something better for you. So it, it, it got dismantled. And um, for him to walk out that ministry in a place of, of pure love, right? When you're doing something because you're loved in, instead of in order to be loved, then you know you're at a good place. Then you know that you've got some pretty good real identity formation that that you feel loved enough you love yourself enough in order to do these things in a way that that releases that gives life to other people we can look at somebody named peter everybody knows about peter and of all the disciples he's got the largest mouth right i mean he's he's impetuous he just kind of has these gut reactions to things. But, but Jesus, you know, gave this guy a, a special place amongst the 12, right? G, uh, Peter, Peter saw some really awesome things that some of the other disciples didn't, didn't see. He's called from his family, at least for a time. I mean, he's like going with, with Jesus for three years, and he, uh, he encounters a love he's never experienced before. I think it's safe to say that Jesus is the most important person in his life now. Right? I mean, he's seen Jesus raise the dead. He's, he's seen Jesus do these endless signs and wonders. The kingdom of God is at hand, and, and Peter makes a big choice. Jesus says, follow me. Peter says, oh, well, first he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinful man, right? So we, we know he's coarse. We know that he's like your, your average Joe, like average guy who might go to the bar after, after work and you know, chat with the guys and probably say some crude things. That's probably who Peter is. He's, he's just like a regular dude, right? Well, Jesus isn't offended by his, his sin. Jesus goes in there, and Jesus sees the man's destiny, and Jesus chooses to invest in this guy, and Jesus knows the guy's going to make a lot of mistakes, as we all do. As we grow, we're going to fall, right? That's just the way it is. Okay? So... He calls them into the 12, into the special group. And Peter is so zealous and, and loves Jesus so much. They have this discourse, and you see it in, in John, and I, I don't think we'll go there right now, but um, Jesus is talking about very important things, you know, like John 15, 16, 17. Really, the discourse from 13 to 17 are Jesus' last words before he leaves wants to impart to the disciples. And then Jesus starts saying, you know what? I'm going to leave. You can't follow. And Peter interrupts him. No, no. Where, where are you going? Well, I, I can't follow. And Peter says, I, I will go with you even if it costs me my life. Peter thinks he knows his heart. Just as many of us think we know our hearts, but we sometimes don't. Right? And Jesus says, you think you're going to follow me? You think you're going die, to die for me? Well, before the, the rooster crows three times, you're going you're gonna to deny me. 
no, I could never do that. I could never do that. I would never. You know, and Peter would probably thinks somebody like that would be an idiot. Somebody like that would be a, you know, a horrible person. He would never identify with that. Well, we know what happens. We know the story, right? The pressure comes on. The, the Jesus is taken, right? There's so much fear. Uh, the Pharisees are having their field day. They're doing all sorts of illegal practices with Jesus. Peter follows him towards the court, right, where this illegal proceeding is happening. And then somebody says, I mean, aren't you with Jesus? No, no, no. So he does something that he never thinks he's going to do. He betrays his best friend, ultimately. He denies and betrays his best friend, the person that's most important to him. And think, think how much value we place on, on having good behavior and doing the right things, and, and we should. You know, it is right to do good things. It is right not to be dumb in our decisions or to hurt people. But then it hits him afterwards, right? He chickens out, and he weeps bitterly. He doesn't say he just weeps. He weeps bitterly. Bitter, that's kind of an intense word, isn't it? Okay, I think he's probably really upset with himself. He's really upset with himself. And he's hurting. He's emotionally hurting. I just betrayed my best friend. I betrayed him. Right? Um, was that the end of the story for Peter? Is, was, that, was that the end? Okay, you, you made this horrible decision. You were faithless to me, so Peter, you're done. Is that how Jesus responded? No. No. Jesus knew what would happen. He knew that Peter would fall flat on his face. Right? And there'd be a lot of shame. There'd be a lot of disappointment. But Jesus looked beyond Peter's failure to where he saw Peter would become. Right? We might fall hard certain times, but that does not mean that God's done with us. Right? The reality is sometimes we have to fail even into our destiny. Because at that point, when Peter experienced his greatest weakness, he came really close to his heart. It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't think that was in me. Right? That was his unraveling point. And we look at different people in the scripture. Look at Joseph. Look at Job. Right? Look at Jeremiah. Um, you can name a lot of people. Abraham, who had these high callings. But there's this unwinding process where they're, they are suffering so severely. Some of them are so unjustly treated. And they come to the end of themselves. Apostle Paul despairs of life, right? They get to these, these places that are so hard and so painful and circumstances are awful for them. God gave them these promises and the opposite's unfolding. Maybe they, maybe, maybe they can barely um, bear to even get up the next day, right? Jeremiah looks like that guy got in some pretty deep depression to me, right? Some of the other, other heroes of the faith, that, is, that are extolled in, in Hebrews in the New Testament. These people suffered. They failed emotionally, sometimes even behaviorally. Think of David. But God wasn't done with them, right? God wasn't done with them. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Is relationship more important than behavior to the Lord? 
And I would say yes. Remember, we're, we are his sons and his daughters. And he cares more about our hearts and he cares more about our joy than even our successes and our failures. We're being made into the image of Christ, right? And in my heart, I want to be like Jesus, right? But I'm being sanctified. And I might make big mistakes for whatever reason, right? Anybody here ever make any big mistakes that maybe really hurt them? Can, can anybody identify with what I'm talking about, this, this unraveling process where you feel so much pressure or disappointment or you make a really bad mistake, but, but it does something to you where you connect with your heart in a way you never have before, right? Perhaps there are some here that maybe could say yes. That's true. And if, if you get to that place and you still look to God, he'll bring you to a new place. Right? You go into the valley, but then he wants to bring you to the mountain. You look at Peter, who was in the valley. Jesus says, do you love me? Well, yes, yes, Lord, we'll feed my sheep. Do you love me? We'll feed my lambs. Okay, Peter, who pr probably had a coarse mouth, who made a lot of mistakes, who even denied Jesus Christ, he becomes one of the head apostles of the New Testament church. Wow. That's pretty intense. He writes books that are in the Bible that we read and that are the word of God. This failure has books in the Bible. That's pretty amazing. He, he, he couldn't do it once. He couldn't die for Jesus. He wasn't at that place. But how did he die? Do we know? The cross upside down. His heart was transformed to a place where he loved Jesus so much. He knew Jesus so much. And I would even say he knew himself so much. He came to such a place of, of knowing his own heart and being connected to his own heart. It's like, I'm going to do this. And he did out of love. He did out of love. And he was, lo he was looking for a world beyond this world, right? He came to that revelation. It's imperative that we come to a deep abiding in the love of God. When this happens, our families, ministries, and identities are transformed to become something that reflects the true nature of the kingdom of God. That's when life-changing transformation happens through us. Some of us grew up in an environment where maybe our parents had, they had good ideas for us, but maybe they're their, their desire for good was based on the American dream, right? Get your money, get your good job. And they, they might have pressured us into a mold, or maybe some of us come from abusive families, and we didn't even get that, you know? And um, our identity, our self-worth, uh, the things that we're going after is all based on a lie, right? And the question I have, and I, I've asked myself this question, am I really living from my heart? The job that I'm doing the relationships that I'm having, the way I'm communicating, the way that I'm spending my time, the way I'm doing the Christian thing. Is it truly out of love? Is it truly authentic to who I am? Or am I doing it just because I think I should do it this way? I think I should do marriage this way because this is the way my parents did it. Right? 
I think I should release the gospel this way because that's the way evangelist so-and-so told me to do it. Right? Some of us need to come to the realization that we've been placed in a mold and it wasn't God's will for us. It was a person's will for us. All right? The Bible says, as we delight in the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our heart. We talk about dreams and desires. Your dreams are conduits of love, okay? There are certain things that God has put on your heart where there's joy and there's passion. It's fulfilling for you. And those are good things, right? It's like you may be called to witness or mentor to kids on a baseball field. I mean, like Joe, Joe finds so much satisfaction in coaching and, and mentoring kids. And that's where he sees the most fruit. And you know what? That's where he should see the most fruit because that's where his heart is. That's a conduit of love. If, if Joe tried to do street evangelism, and maybe God has called him for that, but he probably wouldn't see the kind of fruit. Okay? Street evangelism is a good act, but it's maybe not good for Joe. Right? So what I'm challenging us with here is rethinking how we're doing things and what we're doing what are our real passions? What are our real joys? And as we give those over to God, that's when we're going to see the most fruit. I enjoy ministering to young adults. For whatever reason, that's what God has put on my heart the most. I have the biggest heart for young adults. And that's where I tend to see the biggest fruit in transformation. And that's where God calls me a lot. Okay? So I should keep doing that. And if somebody else says, no, you need to go do this, this, or this, I'm going to say, you know what, you're not God. I mean, I, I appreciate whatever you're, whatever you're saying, but I know my heart. And I know the heart of God for me. And I know where I'm seeing fruit being born in my life. Right? Can you can identify with what I'm saying? Is that true? Okay. So I, I want to turn this into a a time of ministry, and I, I'm going to pray, but I just want, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come, so Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would move in our hearts. And there might, it might even be a church leader. I've been hurt by church leaders before. I've had church leaders ask me to do things that weren't true to my heart or even true to the will of God and, and been pushed into a mold that I, I've had to walk out of. I'm probably not the only one that's happened to um, my mom did not support my desire for ministry when I was college age. So um, I'm, I'm just saying that I'm not the only one here. And these can be strongholds in our lives. These can be barriers from having us fulfill our destiny. When we can expose the mold, when God can expose the mold, and we can say, I don't need to fit in this anymore, we walk out of the false identity and then God can lead us into our true identity, into true joy. Okay? So I'm going to ask, God, if, if you would just speak to our hearts. And, Lord, if our moms or dads were not able to speak into our identities, Lord, if they had a plan for us that was for their own satisfaction, but it wasn't true to our hearts and true to what was really meaningful for us, then, Lord, we just choose to forgive them. And we renounce the lie that we have to keep doing these things 
that are important to our parents and not important to us? Or that we have to do life the way they demonstrated it, Lord, if it's not true to your heart or our heart? And Lord, we just also choose to forgive any church leaders that try to impose commands or laws or behaviors on us that uh, weren't true to what you were asking us to do and it may have even been legalistic and it may, may have turned the uh, walking out the kingdom of God into something that was, was a life taking instead of life giving and where there was a sense of if I don't do this I'm going to be rejected and judged Lord we just choose to forgive any church leaders uh, for misjudging us, for wrongly judging us or our situations. And um, any of those molds, Father, that they tried to place us in that are not according to your will and your heart, we ask that you'd expose those molds, break those molds. And just bring us, Father, closer to our hearts. And as you just strip false identity from us, God, we ask that you'd bring us into who you really created us to be. Help us to truly connect with our hearts. Help us to truly connect with your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.